The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, Lord. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise God in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Give to God what is God's and to the emperor what is the emperor's. In a way, I really kind of hate that Jesus places these obligations right next to one another in one sentence. It makes both feel so sort of obligatory, doesn't it? You know, like they're sort of equally competing for what is rightfully theirs. But they're not the same. We all know that when Caesar comes a knocking, we either will pay up or we will face very serious consequences. Should that be how we think about God as well? Like God is just a bigger, more powerful version of Caesar, and he demands his cut as well? Well, of course not. But why not? Well, in the case of Caesar, we know that Caesar will always take as much as he can possibly get away with and give as little in return as he can give away, get away with. But in the case of God, he has already given his very self, the sacrifice of his own son. Indeed, he is the source of all life to begin with. Caesar can't boast of that, can he? So whatever Jesus is saying, we shouldn't conflate in any way Caesar in God or think of them as sort of equal askers. For only one gives without restraint. Only one gives out of love. And only one uses his power to serve rather than using his power to control. To give to God what is God's is to give God back what he has already given us. That is why and how when we give to God, it is a joy. And why a life devoted to God brings us joy. That said, we would do well to try to understand these words of Jesus as he would want us to understand them. For while they may be puzzling, they are surely important. For here is a rare commentary on us as political creatures, as men and women who must live true to God, but under the rule of other men 
and women. So what, Je- what is Jesus really saying here? If we are to give to Caesar his own things, are there areas of life where Caesar actually outranks God? Is Jesus saying that there are areas of life where God has no rightful influence? That God, you know, matters when it comes to like church and worship services and stuff like that. But then you can have this secular government that does its own thing entirely and you can just forget about God because Caesar has the rights there. Is that what he's saying? Is Jesus giving carte blanche to any emperor anywhere to justify any kind of tax or action they wish to impose. Every Caesar hopes that that is the case. They can do whatever they want and Jesus doesn't care because, you know, he said to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I get to claim that for myself. Or is Jesus cleverly answering a trick question by exposing the hypocrisy of the people asking while also evading a treasonous statement? Well, you can see that there is a lot to unpack in those few words. And as long as we live in a world with government and politics, there always will be, and it will always matter. Nasty and unpleasant as our politics may be, the world of politics is where some of our most important values are lived out. It's where justice is done or not done. It's where life is preserved or eradicated. It is where boundaries are enforced or control is lost. I mean, if you care about your neighbor, you should care about politics because it is there that their dignity will either be honored or ignored. So what is Jesus saying? Well, I don't believe that he's writing a blank check to any Caesar that has ever lived in any empire. And he's saying that it's okay for any Caesar to extract any tax, financial or otherwise, from his subjects. For I believe that Jesus knew perfectly well the first verse of Psalm 24. The earth is Yahweh's. With all its fullness, the world and those who live in it. So what really is left for Caesar? I mean, everything is God's, the people and everything in it, right? Jesus knew that. So I think, however, we might want to answer that question of what is Caesar's, we should first confess that everything is already God's. Caesar is then, at best, a temporary steward of God's precious things and people. Now, that's not to say that rulers have no authority at all. We're told to be obedient to our rulers, to pray for them, etc. I don't believe that Christians are to be anarchists. It's just that whatever authority Caesar has, he's actually borrowing it from a better and higher authority. Listen to this verse from 1 Timothy, the first chapter. But we know that the law is good if anyone makes use of it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not given for a righteous person, 
but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners. And Peter goes on to list a whole bunch of people who he would call sinners. But that, st- that sentence is a little circular, right? He says, the law is good if anyone makes use of it lawfully. Well, yeah, of course, right? Isn't that kind of like saying, if you obey, then you are obedient? Or the uh, ice cream tastes good if it is delicious. Well, yeah, we, we know that. What is Paul saying then? The law is good if it's used lawfully. Well, I think what he's saying is that Caesar's laws are good if they are used according to God's laws. Not all of God's laws in the Old Testament, of course, for many were fulfilled with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But maybe we could say minimally the Ten Commandments. We can still defend those as Christians, can't we? At least the second table of the Ten Commandments, you know, the ones that tell us how to deal and live with our neighbor. I would certainly include more than that, even from the Old Testament. But you get the idea. If Caesar's laws are not in line with God's laws, then they are unlawful. You see, Caesar is not a law into himself. And my point is I'm trying to say when Jesus said to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's not giving a blank check to Caesar to do whatever he wants. He's going on doing his thing in the secular government and we're just going to worry about worship over here. That's not what he's saying because everything is God's. It's not really Caesar's anyway. And Caesar's laws are unjust if they are not used lawfully. So that puts a lot of constraints on Caesar doesn't it? Caesar is not a law unto himself, but rather he is to be judged by us, by Christians, by those who love God and his word. We judge him by another standard, by a higher standard. And in answering the way that he did, you know, Jesus didn't lay out for us a political philosophy or this would be the the all-time law for all time or anything like that. Really, he's He's leaving it to us. He's leaving it to future generations to draw lines around what is rightfully considered Caesar's stewardship in a world that is totally God's. Jesus is leaving it up to us to say what Caesar can rightly ask of us before he begins to encroach on God's territory. That is at least part, then, of our work as Christians figuring out what is truly under the authority of Caesar and honoring that and calling Caesar to account on the authority of God's word. We can point to times where there have been tremendous failures in this regard and times where there have been tremendous successes. Slavery would be a pretty good, easy example where we can say that Caesar was out of control And the church did not rein him in, but often encouraged him. But maybe our nation's founding, which limited government's censorship of our worship and speech and thought, has been the world's most successful political experiment, if liberty is a value to be prized. So perhaps the question for us, especially as we enter you may have noticed, or are now in the middle of a political season, is what are lawful laws and who is promoting them?
What are the issues that God's law would have us value? And what should we think about them? I believe in our own day, abortion is the moral equivalent to slavery in terms of its scope and brutality. Who defends it and who does not? What might we call, uh, what might we say about the redistribution of wealth? Surely that's a justification for raising taxes. How much of your money do you get to keep? And how much does Caesar get to redistribute on your behalf? Is private property biblical and defensible? What about a standing army? Is that something a nation should have? What kind of war should be, we be engaged in? How robust should our national defense be? Here's a meta question we face at this moment in our nation's history. Are we a nation marked by oppressions that so mark our character that it's time to rethink our entire founding, even upend it with really foreign ideas? Or are we at heart a good and decent people that has provided for freedom and prosperity for millions? Well, you could, of course, show facts that prove either. That's done all the time. But if we want to know whether this is the time to revolt against Caesar or obey him, we need to know. We need to have some standard against which to measure Caesar so that we know if his use of the law is lawful or not. Should we give more power to Caesar then? Or should we, through our vote, try to take it away? When you vote, that is part of what you're saying. You are saying that our Caesar, our political leaders, are rightly stewarding what God has given them or they are not, and the other candidate can do a better job. But I certainly hope that as Christians, we're voting with a Christian worldview, an understanding of God's law, an appreciation of life when we do. One thing is for sure, if you make politics an idol, it will bring you constant disappointment. I mean, do any of the news programs ever, do you ever see happy people, you know? You'll be disappointed all the time because even the best cannot do for us what God has already done. For only God has given us more than we could ever ask for. His very self through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross. Amen.